Today we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 1 to the end of the chapter. And this is God's word. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few. And those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are clothed are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. The man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and that it is perfect. Lord, we pray that as we sit at your feet now, that you would do that supernatural work of your Holy Spirit 
that we would hear your voice speaking to us through your word. Lord, give us the ability to trust and obey. Lord, open our eyes that we would see Jesus, that we would understand how much we are loved in him. And Lord, may we all go away from here strengthened and encouraged. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2018, over four years ago now, John Allen Chow was killed in trying to bring the gospel to the people of the North Centralese Islands, just off the coast of India. If you have a look at the front of your orders of service, you'll see a picture of him. He had spent a number of years thoroughly preparing for this task. And in just the first couple of days of making contact with the people, his life was lost. His waterproof journal was later recovered, and uh, I spent some time myself transcribing down what he had written. His passion for Christ and his love for the lost was truly inspiring. And even though John Chow was not what you might describe as being a charismatic or Pentecostal Christian, one night while he was there, I think it was maybe the final night before he died, he received a vision. And this is exactly what he wrote in his journal. Watching the sunset, and it's beautiful. Crying a bit, wondering if it will be the last sunset I see before being in the place where the sun never sets. I'm tearing up a little. God, I don't want to die. Who will take my place if I do? Oh God, I miss my parents and family. Then a little later he writes this. Last night I had what I'd call a vision as I've never had one before. My eyes were shut but I wasn't asleep and I saw a purple hue over a ghoul-like city as a meteorite or star fell to it and it was a frightening city with jagged spires and I felt distressed. Then a different light, a whitish light filled it and all the frightening bits melted away. Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have heard or even had a chance to hear your name? And then John Allen Chow wrote this, Lord, strengthen me as I need your strength and protection and guidance and all that you give and are. Whoever comes after me to take your place, whether it's after tomorrow or another time, please give them a double anointing and bless them mightily. Unfortunately, even many evangelical Christian people I know have condemned Alan Chow for what he did. They thought he was reckless and irresponsible. But I believe he was truly following the Lord Jesus Christ and he was seeking to be obedient to him. In fact, I continue to pray 
that the Lord would raise up others to go in his place. So that those who are living in darkness, deceived by the devil's lies, will be brought into the light of God's truth. Because here's the central truth of the Bible. The lost are lost. The lost are lost. The most remarkable thing about John Allen Chow, though, is he was only 26. He had much more of his life ahead of him. And yet, he gave up his life so that others might be saved. Because this life which we enjoy now, he knew is one day going to come to an end. And if the lost are lost, then they're lost for eternity. The cricketer-turned-missionary C.T. Studd once said, only one life, it will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. The famous English pastor and poet John Donne took this idea to the extreme, and he actually had the coffin in which he was to be buried in his bedroom. To take matters even further, he would often sleep in his own coffin to remind him of his own mortality and his, of his own life of sin which he had renounced. Now, while that's pretty morbid, I think there's something kind of admirable about it. Because it's such a powerful reminder as to what is going to happen to us all. There's going to come a day when our coffin will be placed before our family and friends. When the Lord will call us home and our time in this world will have come to an end. You see, here's the great lie, particularly for people that are young. You will not live on this world forever. Your days are fleeting. As much as you feel energy and strength and optimism, you're going to die. And that's the theme of verses 1 to 8 of chapter 12. For Solomon uses all of this, what you probably call apocalyptic imagery, to describe the debilitating effects of old age. And so by doing, uh, Solomon intensifies the personal tragedy of our own coming demise physically by comparing it to God's judgment. That as creation itself will be unmade at the end of the world, so too our lives are actually being unmade right now. You see, up until this point, the term under the sun has been used in the book of Ecclesiastes something like 34 times. But now, all of a sudden, everything goes black. Take another look at verse 2. You'll see that Solomon says that not only does the sun lose its ability to shine, but that the light of the moon and the stars are darkened. 
It's a powerful reminder that the light of life is fading and that the night of death is about to begin. A time when our bodies will sleep in the dust of the earth while our souls are alive to the Lord in heaven until we wait for that great and final day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And so in the light of all of this, if you'll pardon the pun, Solomon says that we should all remember our Creator, especially in the days of our youth. To not let your youthful vigour and vitality be wasted on the sinful lusts and distractions of the flesh. But to give our strength and our zeal to knowing and serving the Lord. As we looked at last week, being young and healthy is a wonderful thing. And we should rightly rejoice in what God has given us. Because make no mistake, like the morning mist, it too will be quickly gone. As most of you know, I used to play a lot of tennis when I was young. I can still remember how good it felt to push my body around the court, stretch my muscles. Often I remember being on the court and being in such good shape that I knew I had to slow down to be able to get to the ball and not overrun it. Even though it was tiring, it felt so good. You'd come away exhausted, but you'd also come away incredibly energised. Whenever I get on the tennis court now, my feet feel like concrete and I just can't get to the ball like I used to anymore. It sort of goes past me. It's so depressing. <laughs> what is even more sobering is to realise that everything is in decline. My body is slowly but surely disintegrating. This is the reason why Solomon says that we should remember our creator in the days of our youth. Because the process of ageing is inevitable. We're not just getting older, but as we do, life becomes less and less enjoyable. Can't remember how many times I've been to nursing homes. You know, and I don't know what's more tragic. Is talking to people in nursing homes who are just lonely or who just find no joy in anything anymore. In verse 3, Solomon describes this process to that of a house that is falling apart. For instance, in verse 3, he talks about the keepers of the house tremble, which refer to one's hands that are not as strong as they once were, but are a bit unsteady and start to shake. When strong men are bent over with a sore back and joints that are no longer able to easily carry our own weight. Have you seen the cartoon movie Up? <laughs> Remember the old man gets out of bed in the morning, like, ah, ah. Like when you get out of a chair and it takes a moment, you've got to sort of shake the joints, you know, because you're sort of moving around a little bit stiffly. When the grinders are few, you start to lose your teeth. You can no longer chew your food properly anymore. When the doors to the street are shut as a way of sort of saying, you know, the, your eyesight starts to grow dim. 
<laughs> you wake up early to the sound of birds. Because your sleep isn't as deep uh, or as constant. And maybe you need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Problem is, is you get up at the crack of dawn to go to the bathroom. And, you know, you can hear the birds. But then you're getting older. And even the sound of the birds isn't as sharp as it once was. When you become afraid of heights and the terror of traveling along the road. No more climbing ladders or being adventurous. No more long journeys or taking risks. You still remember the days where, you know, you jump off cliffs and then you get to that point in your life, you know that moment, right? And you get to the edge of the cliff and you go, yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's going to end in pain. Oh, I just think I'll step away. Instead, you're always concerned about what could go wrong. Am I prepared enough? When your head is so full of white hair that you resemble an almond tree in full blossom. <laughs> when your energy and enthusiasm, I love this expression, right? Is like a little grasshopper that has no hop. <laughs> Instead of being a little hopper, he's just a little dragger. Dragging his little legs along. Instead of hopping around, you've lost all your energy. When you desire for work, desire for food. Actually, you know what? It's, it's, this is really sad. I'm sorry to tell you this, particularly if you're young. But the, uh, the sense in Hebrew is if your desire, even for your own spouse, it's just not there anymore. Like, oh, how sad is that? Things that you're once passionate about no longer carry the same passion. No, carry, no longer carry the same spark or drive. Taken all together, it's a powerful and poignant picture of old age, isn't it? And it's an inevitable process which is going to happen to us all. Can I just say this? If you're young, you are not bulletproof. And this is going to happen to us all. I especially love how Solomon expresses it in verse 6 and 7. Just take a look at it again because it's really quite poignant and beautiful. He says in verse 6, Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You see, the great lie of this world is that you'll just live forever. It'll go on like it has, but it won't. What Solomon is saying is that our lives are like a golden bowl. That is, who you and I are and what we have is real and precious and good. But life is also hanging by a thread, isn't it? It's held together by this beautiful but delicate silver cord. And as we all know, at least we should, our life could be severed in a moment. The driver of a car needs to only swerve onto the wrong side of the road and we're gone. 
or a germ or disease has to enter our bloodstream and we quickly succumb to it. Life, this life that we're blessed with and that we experience and is so precious is so fragile. And when we least expect it, it can all be instantly taken away. When the pitcher that is used to gather water is shattered, when the wheel that we use to grind the grain, which is so strong and robust, is broken, you see, we might think that we're bulletproof, but we're not. Every single one of us is more fragile and more vulnerable than we care to admit. So much so, it's really quite surprising that any of us lasts as long as we do. The, the older I get, and I, I, I say this respectfully, right? But you know when we sing happy birthday, we're really going, yeah, it's, wow, 70. You got there. Like, that's pretty amazing. Because we all know it could have gone wrong lots of times. I was working with my dad one day on a construction site. And uh, we were coming home in his truck. And I was just looking out the window. And uh, we were about to pull up about 500 metres down the road. And suddenly, he just swerved to miss a car, which had just put on the brakes, right, trying to cross double yellow lines onto the other side. And as a result, 80 kilometres an hour, right, hit another vehicle head on. Right underneath the wheel where I was where, uh, in a truck, so it's underneath me. Truck does a whole 180. Thankfully, we're both okay, but the woman who was driving in the other vehicle killed instantly. It was horrific. For weeks and months afterwards, I used to stare out the window as we were driving, and I would think all that's separating me and death right now is a painted white line on the road. That's it. Go like that, dead. Here we are travelling 80 kilometres an hour. Any moment, anything could ever change. I think, why doesn't this... Look at this. This this is like death on wheels. One minute you could be safe and healthy. The next minute, black ice. But whether we live a short time or a long time, Solomon says this, everything is vanity. That is, it's hevel in Hebrew, or it's transitory, it's vapour. It's like, you know, blowing out the air that you see on a cold morning. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. And then the question is this, are you using the days which God has given you wisely? And obviously this applies to older people as well, doesn't it? If you're older, then you're living in the golden years of life where you have all the wisdom, often a lot more money than you do when you're you're younger, all the experience. Or are you possibly squandering the opportunities, particularly if you're young, by sowing what you you know people sometimes call your wild oats? Let me encourage you to not only not waste your life, but as we looked at last week, if you're still young, don't waste your youth.
because you never know how many more days on this earth you have left. And sometimes the Lord cuts people's days short. You see, whether you're young or old, the time which God has given you is a precious, precious gift. The Apostle Paul says in verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 5, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And then he says something quite shocking. He says, because the days are evil. That is, they're filled with the opportunity to fall into temptation and to do wrong. To get drunk on wine, he says, rather than to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To think that this life is that all that there is, and you've got time, and you lose sight of eternity. That's the great temptation we constantly face. We've got time. It doesn't really matter what I do today. I've got time. You don't. What Christ is calling on us to do today is to be wise and to make the most of every opportunity, to not squander it, using our time, our energy, and especially our physical strength of our youth to serve the Lord. When I was at uni, there was this guy who used to get drunk every night of the week. He wasn't violent or anything, but he was renowned as the party animal of our college, our Christian college. He'd often joke, you know, and I thought it was funny at the time. He'd go, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I only get drunk in days that end in Y. Not long after I came to understand the gospel, uh, he came to my room and uh, he'd never visited me before. But he came to my room to tell me how great it was that I'd become a Christian. (laughs) I was shocked. I was so surprised. Because I thought he, more than anyone else, would have thought that my conversion was stupid. But he not only expressed his admiration, but... (laughs) Anyway, he also said, oh yeah, look, I'm a Christian. I'm like, come on, you, clearly you're not a Christian. Because no, no, I understand the gospel. I know what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, he said, after college, I'm going to go to seminary and become a pastor. I thought, oh, come on. Like, come on, man. Like, okay, you might think you're a Christian, but you, you, you should not be a pastor. But he was adamant that not only did he believe, but that's what he was going to do. And I just said, how can that be? How can you do that? What, what, what are you thinking? And he said that right now, he goes, look, I know I'm not living how God wants me to live. I'm just sowing my wild oats. So, and he goes, and he justified that. He goes, that way I'll be able to better relate to non-Christians in the future. His plan was that not long after graduation, he'd get his life together, live an upright life. Now, his logic was completely ludicrous. And so... I thought, what do I say to this guy? And I said, you know, if you already know and believe the gospel, why would you sow your wild oats when you could be reaping a harvest? Why would you waste all of this time and and energy and knowledge that you have doing these stupid things? 
Oh, now, I'm not sure what happened to the guy. But the error of his thinking is something that I reckon we're all in danger of committing. We just keep thinking, I've got time. Maybe not to the same degree. But are we hungering for righteousness? Are we thirsting for the building up of God's kingdom on earth? Would you do what Alan Chow did at 26 and give your life for a people that didn't know Jesus? Maybe there's even one person in here today that hears God's call and will take the gospel to the nations. Can I tell you, you have never wasted your life if you do that. That will echo down into all eternity. My own dedication and commitment is sadly all too often half-hearted. And I'm praying that I'd be more completely sold out for Christ. Because that's what the Lord wants for us. He longs for us to be filled with himself. To have a white-hot zeal for him and his saving purposes on earth. Remember what the Lord Jesus says to the church of Laodicea? Oh, that you are either hot or cold. Oh, that you are either full on or full off. But it's this lukewarmness. This lukewarmness makes me want to vomit. It makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. All of which brings us to verses 9 and 14, which are the end of the entire book. Unfortunately, people think that this contradicts everything that Solomon has been saying. In fact, some people think that it's written by a completely different person. But there's no reason to conclude that, that that is the case, because people often speak in the third person. Even the Lord Jesus does that from time to time. But more importantly, what Solomon says here doesn't contradict what he's been saying. It actually affirms it. It's like a rudder which steers the entire ship. Chapter 12 picks up and it directs everything else that Solomon has written. To fear God, to enjoy the gifts he has given us, to obey God's commands, but most of all, to be continually aware of our own coming death and judgment. You see, these are not truths that are different to what Solomon has been saying. These are truths which are integral to everything Solomon has been saying. One writer has put it like this. The end of chapter 12 is not changing the subject. It is the subject of Ecclesiastes. By the grace of God, Solomon has done us an incredible service. He's given us 12 relatively short chapters which clarify the meaning of life by showing us that everything in and of itself is heaven, it's vanity. Take a look again at what he says in verse 11 and 12. Because we would do really well to meditate on what they say. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. No prizes for who that is. My son, beware of anything beyond these. What we need more than anything else, friends, is God's word. It's like a truth bomb or a nail that is firmly embedded into a plank of wood. Bang, bang, bang. Solomon says he searched to find just the right words and what he wrote down was upright and true. And it is. 
What we have to be careful of, though, friends, is the temptation to go beyond Scripture. Of not realising just how precious the words on that piece of paper are in front of you. For they are life and they are truth. They, are, they function, Solomon says, like goads, you know, that spur us on to godly decision-making and living. A goad just being a, a long stick with a sharp point which drives the oxen on. Oxen gets a little bit lazy, sharp stick does the job. Bang! That's what we so often need, is it not? We need to be rebuked. We need to be corrected. For our sinful nature often wants to hear things which confirm our prejudice or our bias. Not only that, but Solomon then goes on to write, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the flesh. You could read all of the philosophy books in the world and you wouldn't get anywhere near the amount of knowledge as you would get out of these 12 chapters. It's a long, it's a laborious, and ultimately it's a fruitless task to just keep reading and writing and publishing because in the end, it's just wearisome. You could write essays, you could publish articles on various aspects of philosophy, but you won't get any deeper insight into the human condition than what is found here. For not only have they stood the test of time, 3,000 years old and counting, but it's been inspired by God himself. I've said it before, but the book of Ecclesiastes is the most accessible and profound piece of philosophy ever written. Its insight into human existence and right living is as relevant as it was when it was first written. How should we live in response to what Solomon writes? Well, Glenn Davies, who is the former Anglican Archbishop of Sydney and uh, my favourite lecturer when I was in more college, used to put it like this. In the words of the old hymn, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's it. You want the meaning of life? That's it. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Or as Solomon himself says in verse 13 and 14, the end of the matter, this is the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Most people think that the book of Ecclesiastes is really depressing. But I've always found it incredibly helpful, especially when I became a Christian, because it's neither optimistic or pessimistic but realistic. It shows you how life is good, but it's also filled with evil. But as it, as it does so, it exposes our idolatrous tendency to trust in the things of this world, to find meaning in them rather than in the one who made the world. And so it only depresses us to make you depend on God all the more and find meaning. So that you and I will know and experience life and life to the full. That's what Jesus has come to do, friends. He's come to give us life in the face of death. As the light of the world, he's come to dispel our darkness. 
Jesus promises in verse 12 of John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Your body might be decaying, but God says he will renew it at the resurrection. Do you see what comfort, what assurance, what hope there is that Jesus brings because he's defeated death? We don't need to find our identity in the things of this world, friend. Not our jobs, not our families, not our possessions. Because they're all going to fade away. We're going to leave them behind. Or even before we die, they're going to perish. Or someone's going to flog them. So put your hope in Christ. Live for his glory and his kingdom. For beauty, pleasure, youth, money, love, fame, they're all going to fade away, aren't they? We really need to commit ourselves to the things which last. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not hell. It's not in vain. And regardless of whether you're young or old, Solomon's message is the same. Don't waste your life. Don't squander the talents and opportunities that the Lord has placed in you and before you. Instead, pour your life out as a living sacrifice. As we saw from last week, step out in faith, take risks. Cast your bread on the waters, try new things, work hard with your hands. Don't eat the bread of idleness. Because humanly speaking, you never know what's going to succeed. But remember this though. The Lord will hold you to account for everything you do, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. If you're not living for him now, then there will be consequences then. Maybe not judgment in the ultimate sense, but I do think there is a a judgment on a temporal way of there being a loss of reward. Of not seeing the fruit of your life or your good works echo on down through eternity. That's, what I, that's why I included the, the Bible reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, the question we have to ask all of ourselves today is this. Are you building your house? Are you building your life with either wood, hay, straw or stubble? Or with gold, silver and costly stones? We're all building... But what materials are you using? You see, we need to heed Paul's warnings, friends. Because if you build using dodgy materials, there's a day where that workmanship will be shown up, where the cracks will start to appear. Yeah, you'll be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, it brings to mind the image that you're saved, but by the skin of your teeth, with nothing to show for it. Because while trusting in Jesus saves us from hell and condemnation, how we live our lives on earth now is still important. Our labour for the Lord is not hevel or in vain, because the death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. 
That's why your labour in the Lord echoes down into all eternity. I hope at the judgment I will look across at John Allen Chow and I'll go, mate, that was awesome. You used that short 26 years of your life better than I've seen some people that lived to 70 or 80 because you gave it all. That's the challenge, friends. That's what Jesus is putting before us. Don't waste your youth. Don't waste your life. Give to Jesus your wholehearted worship and devotion. Live our lives for him. Give him the best of your energy, your time, your effort. Well, on that note, why don't we spend some time in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've spoken to us through your word this morning. Lord, we uh, want to confess to you that we are often so lukewarm and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, you have loved us passionately and with an everlasting love. You never give up on us, but you constantly pursue us. Father, we pray that we would love as we have been loved, that we would serve as we have been served, that, Lord, we would not waste a day that you have given us, but we would use it for your glory and that we would see the fruit of our good works echo down into eternity. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.